Well, good morning. Great to have you with us today. My name is Rich. I'm part of the leadership team here at King's. Well, how are you finding this lockdown eight weeks in? That may seem a strange question, but it seems to me that people have very different responses. Some people are actually quite enjoying it. Maybe that's you. Your calendar's more free. Commitments that you have before are no longer there. Actually, you could do this for years. For others, it's much more difficult, understandably so. Each week seems like a lifetime and you just want some kind of normality back. Some people have found ways to reach out and get to know their community. Others have locked the door, hunkered down and found ways to grow their own vegetables. Well, how about you? We're in a series looking at how we can respond in faith in troubled times. And there's no doubt these are troubled times, times of genuine loss. Some of you will have really felt this, perhaps the loss of a loved one and the pain of bereavement, the loss of community and the emotional strain of not being able to see your friends and your family. For some of you, the loss of finances and the longer it goes on, the harder it gets. What does a faith filled response look like in times like these? We're going to talk over these next two weeks about how as Christians, we can rejoice even in troubled times. And today I'm going to focus on one aspect of that, how we can give joyfully about how we can be generous with our money. You know, we're not a church that's embarrassed about talking about money and rightly so, I think, even in times like this, mainly because Jesus wasn't. Jesus talked about money a lot, actually more than he talked about things like faith and prayer. And he did it with a whole mix of people, those who are well off and those who would have struggled to make ends meet. Why did he do it? He did it because he knew the power that money can have in our lives. Power to help us accomplish God's purposes, but also power to strangle the very purposes we were made for. Now, if you're new or you're just looking in this morning and you're thinking at this point, I'm not sure about this, then stay with me. I believe that there are things that God wants to say to all of us today, wherever we're at. As I've spent time thinking and praying about this preach, I've had a sense that God has an adventure that he's inviting us into all the more. Yes, there's challenge in this. There always is when we talk about money. But there's also a depth of relationship that he wants for us and a dependency on him that he's calling us to lean into all the more. So why don't you go and grab your Bible now if you're able to do so. We're going to look at two passages this morning. We're going to start with a passage from the book of Habakkuk. That's where our our focus has been in this series so far. But to give some context, to give some background, we're also going to look at a passage from Deuteronomy. Let's hear those two passages now. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket 
from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people, and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labour. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and depression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Great. Thank you both. Why don't we pray together, church? Lord, we thank you so much for the two passages we've just heard that teach us what it means to follow you. Lord, we ask in this time together, you would come and fill us with your spirit. Come and speak to us afresh, we pray, that we might know you more, that we might enjoy you and live with you and for you. We pray that, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can't say the Bible is detached from real life problems. It's all there in the book of Habakkuk. We've seen this over the past few weeks, injustice, hopelessness, pain. And in Habakkuk 3, the prophet describes a time of real loss. It's there in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. Make no mistake, Habakkuk is talking here about finding joy in genuine economic disaster. No fruit on the trees, crop failure, animals dying. These would not have been incidental problems for the people of Judah. See, in those times, as in many parts of the world today, people relied on the things they were able to grow to put food on the table. And their livelihoods were tied up in their livestock and their land. And when all of that is scarce, when nothing grows, it's an economic crisis. And so it's a personal crisis with painful questions to be asked. When will the next paycheck come in? How am I going to be able to feed myself and my family? Now, maybe some of you this morning are watching this and you're asking those questions today. Maybe because of the lockdown, you're facing genuine financial crisis. If that's you, I want to talk just for a moment about our hope initiative, our hope initiative. We want to be a church where no one stands alone. It says of the early church in Acts 2 that they gave to anyone who had need. And that's what our hope initiative is all about. We've set this up, including a hope fund that people in the church have given into to help you if you're facing extreme financial crisis. Your response to this talk today might be to accept that offer of help. If you're in that position today, please do talk to your small group leader if you're in a small group or use the Hope Initiative form on our website. It will be treated in the strictest confidence, but please do get in touch. But if you're not in that position today, I want to say three things about what it means to give joyfully. 
And then we're going to have a wonderful opportunity this morning to give together in a very specific way. So the first thing about giving joyfully is this, that we're to give as a priority. We're to give as a priority. You know, to really understand what Habakkuk is saying about finding joy in times of scarcity, we need to understand the background. That's why that passage from Deuteronomy is so helpful. It teaches us God's instructions to his people about what to do with a harvest. And Habakkuk would have known this. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 26 verse 2. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. In other words, when your harvest comes and your crops begin to show, when you see the results of your hard work, take those crops and give them to God. Notice it's not your leftovers, it's your first fruits. Here's the challenge, and I'm making this to myself as much as to anyone. Are you giving to God first or does he just get your leftovers? See, we can ask that question about all kinds of things, about how we approach reading the Bible, about our prayer life. But we must ask it too about how we use our finances. See, the principle is this. When it comes to our financial giving to the church, it's not about what's left at the end of each month. It's not about loose change. It's about purpose and it's about priority. It was my birthday the other day and my wife, Alice, and my kids went to great lengths for me. I got home from work and they were all dressed up. My son, Sam, had his suit on. And the girls were wearing dresses and they served this beautiful three course meal. And it was wonderful. And what was lovely was not just the food. It was the thought and the heart that had gone into it. See, this was no afterthought. They were prioritising me. They were putting me first and they went to great lengths to show it. I did wonder actually if this was going to be a daily thing, but it turns out it was just a a one off my birthday. But how we use our money shows what comes first in our hearts. See, the truth is, we'll always find a way to justify giving money to the things that we love. I do this with things like books and coffee and music. I'll joyfully spend money on these things because they're important to me. It doesn't even feel like spending when it's something that we deeply love. Jesus is very interested in the way we spend our money. There's that story, isn't there, in Mark's Gospel where it says that Jesus watched people putting money into the offering. It's there in Mark 12, Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. It seems a bit intrusive, doesn't it? What is Jesus doing there? The point is, Jesus is deeply interested in what's going on in our hearts. See, giving is about the heart. Giving is a discipleship issue. And Jesus commends the poor widow who, though she only gives what seems a small amount, gives everything she has. It's a heart thing. Phil Moore, who leads Everyday Church in London, says this. No statement of faith reveals what we believe as clearly as our bank statement. See, how we spend our money reflects what comes first in our hearts. And so if we love Jesus, our giving to the church should be a priority, not an afterthought. If we don't do this, if we just give out of what's left at the end of each month, then in times of difficulty, when our finances dry up, our giving will dry up too. Of course, we do need wisdom with this. We must always give out of what we have rather than putting ourselves into financial trouble and debt. And that may mean taking a check on our finances when times are tough. 
But the principle still stands that giving is about priority. It's about the heart. Giving is an act of worship. That's why the Israelites were to bow down as they left their offering. It's about worship. It's about what comes first in our lives. So giving joyfully first means giving as a priority. And it also means giving out of grace. I love what the Israelites were instructed to do when they brought their first fruits. They were told to declare their story. So you didn't just come and drop your basket and leave. You spoke out your testimony. They were taught to say we were slaves in Egypt, but then we cried out to the Lord and he brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, each time they gave, they were encouraged to connect that gift to the gospel, to tie it in with their own story of grace. Well, what is your story? What's your story? What has Jesus done for you? What has he brought you out of? What were you like before you met him? And what has he brought you into? What has he given you? How has he blessed you? My story is that Jesus brought me out of a life of fear and cynicism and a lack of purpose. And he's bringing me all the more into peace and freedom, into great friendships in the church and into intimate relationship with him. What has he done in your life? What is your story? If you're struggling with giving, take some time to remind yourself of your story and remind yourself, too, that everything we have is a gift from God. See, we can be tempted to think, but this money's mine. I earned it. I work for it. But who gave us the ability to earn it? Who gave us the skills we have, the brains we have, the opportunities we have? Everything we have is a gift from him. You know, it's only when we get to that point where we know it all belongs to God, that it's all a gift from him that we can begin to give more freely. It's when it's when we can say, I only have what I have because of the generosity of God. That's when we can begin to give joyfully. See, the Israelites said, I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. They recognise that even the soil in which they grow their crops is a gift from him. How much more joyfully are we able to give, knowing all that God has done for us? Of course, that may not be your story. You may not know God. You may not be a follower of Jesus. This may even be the first time you've heard a talk about money. Maybe you're considering now whether it was a good idea to watch online church this morning. If this is all new, I want to encourage you not to give money, but instead to get to know this God of grace. Invite him to speak to you. Talk to someone who knows Jesus. Our church family is full of people who've experienced the extraordinary generosity of God how he's blessed them and shown his faithfulness to them, even in tough times like these. It's the grace of God that frees us to give extravagantly. And that doesn't mean that it's always easy. There are times, or maybe it's just me, but there are times when you look at your finances and you kind of gulp as you give, particularly when things are stretched. But isn't that the way it always is with faith? See, money is tangible. We can touch it. We can hold it. We can see it kind of going up and down in our account. Our faith in God isn't something we can see and touch, but it's every bit as real. It's every bit as true. More so, in fact, money is temporary, but our relationship with God is eternal. 
See, giving out of grace means looking beyond the circumstantial, looking beyond what we see around us and learning to trust that in it all, God is sovereign. Like Habakkuk, to be able to say, even in times of scarcity, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my saviour. Everything else may be going wrong, but I have my salvation. I have my God. See, joyful giving means giving out of grace, out of the knowledge of what he's done for us. And finally, it means giving in expectation. Do you know, God doesn't need your money. Please hear that this morning. God doesn't need your money. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Revelation 21 says the streets of heaven are made with gold. There's no lack, there's no scarcity in heaven. Our God is a God of majesty and glory. If we think we're kind of doing God a favour by giving money, or if we think we can somehow earn his love by giving, we totally miss the point. See, giving isn't God's way of raising money. Giving is God's way of raising a people who will love him and trust him and partner with him in his purposes. He invites us to use the money he's given us to invest in his work in our world, to invest in the kingdom. And as we do, to come with expectation that he'll use that giving to continue to pour out his grace on this world. See, what happens when you give money to the church? What happens to that money? Well, it goes into ministries like our fantastic kids and youth work and students and young adults work, which is teaching the next generation about Jesus. It makes possible our outreach ministries, things like King's Table and Azalea, helping to set free those caught in life controlling addictions or women caught in sexual exploitation. It helps support people overseas too, people in material and spiritual poverty. And John's going to highlight one example of this in just a moment. But when we give, it becomes a source of grace for others. And so we can give with an expectation that just as he has set us free, the Father will set others free in the future. And that the Holy Spirit will continue to draw people to Jesus right across our town, right across our nation, right across this world, so that others will know him and find life in him. And here's the thing. Something happens in us too when we give joyfully, particularly when it's a stretch, particularly when it's sacrifice. We learn to trust him more. We learn to depend on the Father. We learn to say with our finances, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, it's your money anyway. Use it for your purposes. Use it for your glory. And you know, as we become more generous, we become more like Jesus. See, we don't believe in a God who holds back. We believe in a God who lavishes his love on us. We believe in a father who runs to the prodigal son who shamed him and throws his arms around him and kisses him. We believe in the God who came down into our mess. If you struggle with giving, look to the cross. See, the way to become radically generous is to know that God stopped at nothing for you. The God of eternity and riches, the one who owns the earth and everything in it. Our God of glory and majesty, he took on humanity. He came down into our world and he displayed through his life and through his death, the lavish generosity of God. 
2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is Jesus born into poverty, lived a life of perfect obedience and so generous with his words, his actions, his time and his love. And then in a display of shocking generosity, he went to the cross for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The God of glory makes himself nothing. Riches and majesty to a wooden cross And as he died on that cross, Jesus paid off our enormous debt to God for everything we've done and thought and said that is wrong. A debt that we could never pay. And he did it because we are his priority. Because we are his joy. And he did it so that you and I can stand completely forgiven and wonderfully free. Free to know him and to enjoy him. And so that we can say in times of fullness and in times of scarcity, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God, my saviour. So as I end this morning, giving joyfully means we give as a priority. It means we give out of grace, knowing all that he's done for us. And it means we give in expectation that the Father will use the money we give to continue the wonderful story of grace that we're so privileged to be a part of. We're going to worship in just a moment. And then John is going to give us a wonderful opportunity for us to give together this morning. But let's just pause here for a moment. Let's just pause here to reflect for a moment. What is your response this morning what is your response to hearing all this maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or why don't you just take a moment to reflect on what God has given you and what you have if you'd like to do this just ask him to show you the truth of who he is invite him to come and speak to you and reveal the truth of Jesus to you Just do that now. Or perhaps you are a Christian this morning. Why not just ask God what he wants to say to you right now? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Come and speak to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. We thank you for what you displayed at the cross. Jesus, that you went to the cross for us, that you displayed the wonderful humility and generosity of our God. He became poor so that we might know what it means to be truly free and truly rich. Well, Lord, come and undo us again this morning, we pray. As we worship, Lord, help us to enjoy again the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let's worship Jesus together.